Hello, you're listening to the Ace Up Your Sleeve podcast. My name is Riken Young, a student of the Acting Company for Excellence and host of the Ace Up Your Sleeve podcast. Today, we are talking to Riley Graygrove, the NTPA Managing Director of Accessible Theater. Miss Riley graduated cum laude from Ball State University in 2016, where she earned a Bachelor's of Science in Psychological Science and a minor in theater. She went on to earn her Master's degree in Drama Therapy from Kansas State University in 2018. Miss Riley worked on a geriatric behavioral unit in Kansas City, Missouri, before relocating to Plano, where she is now one of 25 drama therapists in all of Texas. She is now pursuing her registered drama therapist credential through the North American Drama Therapy Association. Miss Riley has provided programming and engagement for children and adults with various disabilities for over 10 years. Miss Riley uses a strengths-based, students-focused approach in her programming, and she seeks to instill empathy, engagement, and empowerment in all Star Catchers programs. Welcome, Miss Riley. Thank you so much for having me. It's a treat to be here. Of course, it's awesome to have you here. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so, just to start off, what is a drama therapist? Oh, that is the question, isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> drama therapy, if you want to think about it, what the field is as a whole, we fall under the same category as a creative arts therapist. So, if you picture that as a big umbrella, underneath is dance therapy, music therapy, Play therapy, uh, recreation therapists are my cousins, occupational therapists, I like to say they're my cousins, uh, art therapists, we all fall under that category, right? So what a drama therapist does is a drama therapist is using very specific techniques and approaches that allow for things like storytelling, role play, um, and understanding of story as a whole in order to instill change in folks uh, so they can be the change they wish to be in the world, wish to see in the world as well. So a drama therapist does a ton of different things. Sometimes they do community-based work like what I do here with the Star Catchers. Other folks are working in prison systems, working on psychiatric units and hospitals at schools. Anywhere you could see a therapist, a mental health counselor, or a social worker, you could also find a drama therapist. So we really do marry psychology and mental health well-being with theater and the performing arts is how I like to describe it. Fascinating. And so what drew you to becoming a drama therapist? So that's a, that's a twofold question. So uh, I'm disabled myself. I live with ADHD and chronic back pain from an injury from when I was 16. So uh, I've been disabled my entire life. So I come from a world where disability is really the forefront of everything that I do because it affects every aspect of my life, every single part of it. On top of that, I had really, really good friends uh, growing up who um, all had uh, terminal illnesses. So I knew from the moment we became friends that they were eventually going to die. Um, and as their particular disease progressed and as we got older, um, they began to lose a lot of their ability. So they went from being able to walk to having to use wheelchairs, from being able to speak to losing that ability to speak, losing the ability to feed themselves, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that united us uh, together all the time was they would love to come see the performances at uh, my high school when um, their older sister was a good friend of mine as well. She did all of the musicals and plays. I did all the musicals and plays. They would come and see us uh, perform at every single show, would memorize the music, wow. would sing it, you know, would remember, remember lines from the shows and uh, recite them to me. And I knew when I was 17, and this is rare, not a lot of people get this. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at 17, I knew that I, I knew theater was powerful. I knew it was moving and I knew it could change lives. And I knew that my friends who were disabled deserved to be on stage too. That's what I was going to dedicate my life to was figuring out a way 
how am I going to get them on stage? What needs to happen to make that happen? Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so what impact do you hope to have with kids who receive drama therapy? Is it a technique you use in Starcatcher's program? Yes, I use drama therapeutic techniques every single day. Drama therapy is it takes what you already know right about theater, right? It's the same thing. We do rehearsals, we do performances, we cast a show, you know, you learn the music, you learn the dances, you learn the lines, et cetera, et cetera. What's cool about Starcatchers and what makes it a therapeutic program um, is that our focus is on the journey, right? The person you begin, you are at the beginning of a show, is very different from the person you are at the end of the show. Very right? different. I was gonna say, I'm seeing some nods. Yeah. You're, a di you're a different person. You fundamentally mm -hmm. change on a mental and psychological level, and I would even say on a social level. Oh, for sure. You change, right? My students change too. When we go through this process, in, in order to maintain rehearsals and keep them therapeutic, what I'm doing is intentionally making choices and providing direction in a way that promotes accessibility. Right? I, everything that I do embraces my students for exactly who they are. So for example, my autistic students, I am a pro-neurodivergent neuro, and neurodiversity mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, focused therapist. So my students who are autistic, they stem in my class, in all mm. of my rehearsals. So if that's what they need to do to be able to pay attention, you're not hurting yourself or anybody else, go for it. My exactly. students with ADHD need to pace, need to move while I'm giving directions. They're going to pace and they're going to move. Yeah. And they're going to interrupt me when I give directions and it doesn't bother me because that is their way. It's a neurodivergent way of saying, I'm listening to you. Yes. I'm engaging in what you're saying and this is how I do it. Right? Mm -hmm. And I embrace all of that. Embrace my students exactly the way that they are. For some of them, memorization is just not accessible. That doesn't matter. It's yeah, okay. Who cares? <laughs> Instead, you know, we'll do note cards and we may disguise them, right? Like I had a student when we did High School Musical who uh, was having difficulty memorizing lines, so we kept them on note cards, but we disguised them to look like baseball cards. He was one of the jocks. So it fits Impressive. with the character, fits right in there. Uh, Sharpay, we covered her script, so that way it looked like a fashion magazine, like a Tiger Beat or a yeah. Bop. Is Bop still around? <laughs> uh, like a Teen Vogue magazine. Mm -hmm. Looks like it belongs on stage, right? So we're doing all these techniques, including performance partners, having extra support, those sorts of things, to basically say the way theater is traditionally done isn't accessible to you. So we're going to build and create all these foundations and these different supports. That way you can do exactly what everybody else wants to do, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it therapeutic, is we're really establishing a space where everyone really can be here, and I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure if you wanna be on stage, you're gonna get on stage. So everything we do is done with intention, and it's done without shame. And in my space, I teach my students that it is okay that you need help. It is okay that you can't memorize. Okay, whatever, we're gonna find another way to do it. Uh, our argument is that there's no wrong way to do theater. I love that. There's no wrong way to do theater. That's, Absolutely. That's and that's also just great advice to carry everywhere. It's there's no there's no one right way to do anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> and so, tell us more about the Star Catchers program. How can uh, how can theater be effective to the lives of um, uh, disabled students? It's really awesome in that the Star Catchers um, really have their own community. Um, when I came in in 2020, it was a little intimidating at first yeah. because they all know each other very, mm. very well. They're a very tight-knit group. Um, but what's great about that group is that they're also very welcoming. Like, you very. treat them with respect, they're going to give it right back to you. And that's what's really, really wonderful. What I see the most with my students is they are learning um, to not have shame 
in themselves, to love exactly who they are, and to be able to embrace who they are. That also means they're able to advocate for themselves. They are not afraid to tell me, no, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. A no to me is a blessing. It's a way of telling me your boundaries so that way we can work together and yeah. we can figure out what's going to work better, right? I like a no, actually. I, I enjoy it. I like a boundary. I like knowing what I'm working with. Um, so I, I see that a lot with my students. I see a lot of them also learning how to work with each other, right? Mm -hmm. We often have in Star Catchers what we call conflicting access needs. So on mm -hmm. one end, I will have students like me who have ADHD, right? Yeah. Who need to be up and moving and need constant sensory stimulation in order to maintain their focus, right? We got brains that are kind of wired backwards is what I like to say. We need more stimulation, more sound, more movement, more smells, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, in order to engage in what we're doing, right? Yep. On the exact opposite end, <laughs> I will have a beautiful and wonderful autistic student who is easily overwhelmed by a lot of sensory input, who needs yes. a lot more breaks, who needs a very rigid and very clear expectation for what our schedule is, um, who really needs clear boundaries and needs to take things one step at a time, right? Those two people will often be in the same cast and God bless it, they will often be scene partners. Oh, <laughs> they no. are frequently in the same scenes together. So mm -hmm. every single rehearsal we do, me and the other directors and the performance partners and our volunteers are asking the question, how do we meet both needs that feel opposite? That feel like you can only meet one or the other? Mm -hmm. And the answer quite frankly is you try. You try and exactly. you will fail and you will try again. And what's really great about this process is it helps my students learn that the way they are is not the only way. Mm -hmm. And that there are other people whom they love in their lives that they're going to have to learn how to adjust. Yeah. Right? They're going to have to learn how to work together. Um, how to set boundaries, of course, with each other, but also how to be patient and how to be flexible. Um, and I find that to be really, really beautiful. I think that all of those things could be achieved in a sports program, could be achieved in an after-school reading club, absolutely. Mm. What makes it so cool is that with theater, they're doing it in the moment, and then those moments translate on stage as well, and then they carry those with them to the next show, or they carry yes. them with them to their job or to school. Um, we call that the life drama connection in drama therapy, is you relate what you're doing on stage to your everyday life. And I see it happen every single day, and that is my favorite part of the job, absolutely. <laughs> That's incredible. You guys, oh my gosh, so amazing. <laughs> and so you seek to instill empathy, engagement, and empowerment in all Star Catchers programs. Why are those qualities so important to you? Okay, so not to give you an entire life story, but when I was in college, I worked as a summer camp teacher, all, or summer camp counselor, all four years of college. And the summer camp that I worked at uh, was called Bradford Woods, and it was... Ironically enough, uh, worked in close association with Riley Children's Hospital. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not named after that hospital, <laughs> but it was very interesting uh, to mm -hmm. work there and then also be working very closely with Riley Children's. Um, and that summer camp was a summer camp specifically designed for kids with disabilities. So mm -hmm. every week I had a different crop of kids. I had kids who had Down syndrome for an entire week. I had kids who were autistic for a whole week. I had kids who were deaf and hard of hearing for another week. Anything and everything, right? Mm -hmm. So the name of the game at Bradford Woods is accessibility and adaptability. Their question is always, what is preventing a kid from being able to go to summer camp? That's their question, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything they did started before the students even got there, right? It was all very proactive. So for the best example I can give you is we had uh, campers who were prone to seizures. 
-hmm. So a big trigger for a seizure, what could cause one, is you move from one temperature extreme to another. Okay. So if it is 100 degrees outside in Texas heat, (laughs) and you jump into a swimming pool that's kept at a nice cool 70, Mm. feels great for the typical person, but for a kid who has seizures, that could trigger a seizure. And the last place you want to have a seizure is at a swimming pool. Yeah, in the water. Very dangerous. So our... All of our pools were therapeutic pools, and they were kept at a cool 85. Mm-hmm. About almost like a bathtub temperature, right? Yeah. Does it give you the same big, whew, refreshing feeling? Not initially, but after a while, sure. Of course. And that was a small thing we could do. Now my stu- my campers could come be in the pool and have fun pool time just like every other camp. Right? Absolutely. So it was things like that. It was that, and it was it was having a rock climbing wall that had adaptive equipment, so that way my student or students campers, oh, I'm gonna switch back and forth between them. Uh, that way my campers who had traumatic uh, brain injuries or had spinal cord injuries and didn't have use of their legs were paralyzed from the waist down, mm-hmm. they could still climb our tower because we had adaptive equipment where they just needed their arms. That's awesome. I had campers with cerebral palsy who have what are called spastic limbs, so they don't really have a lot of control over their limbs. Uh-huh. But if they could slip their finger into a little loop and push it they could climb the tower. It had an entire pulley mechanism. So Bradford Woods uh, absolutely influenced me uh, 100% in my teaching and my approach in what I do. Um, And their big push, particularly for their staff, was the three E's. Empowerment, engagement, and empathy. Those were the three E's, right? Mm-hmm. So to give credit where credit is due, I absolutely stole that <laughs> from, <laughs> from Bradford Woods. They, they know. I'm, I'm very, very grateful to them and all they taught me. So I instill that in all my performance partners. Those three E's guide my training for performance mm-hmm. partners. They also guide my students in what we do. So when it comes down to it, empowerment is about taking a group of people who are disenfranchised and marginalized in our society. And I can't control what happens outside of my play space, but I know in my rehearsal space... You are welcome exactly the way you are. Mm -hmm. I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to have tools proactively prepared for you. So that way, if you need them, they're there, right? I have noise uh, deafening headphones with me on all times, uh, every single rehearsal. I Mm -hmm. have fidgets and comfort items on me all the time for a kiddo who gets overwhelmed or needs a way to channel different energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have performance partners trained and ready to show up and support folks. I myself am taking more ASL classes right now so I can better communicate with all of my students. Um, that's proactive and that's empowerment is not only am I going to make sure that you have all the tools you need, but you're in charge. <laughs> I tell my students every single rehearsal that this is not my show. It's their show. And it's their show, and my job is just to do the paperwork to make it happen. So mm-hmm. they can tell me if I give a direction, and they go, "Miss Riley, I don't understand why. I'm happy to explain why. And then if they go, I don't like this because I'm afraid that if I step on this block, I'm going to fall. I'm nervous. Mm-hmm. Right? That's where that therapeutic part starts to happen. That's where I start to go, either I assess and I go, okay, is this a mis- um, misread on my part? Did yes. I overestimate someone's physical abilities and we actually need an accommodation. We need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Or is this a personal, I'm scared and we're going to work through fear together. Yes. We're not going to avoid it. We're going to work through it together. So that's what's empowering is they're in charge. It is about them at the end of the day. Um, I accepted this interview, but there was part of me that was like, man, I really should bring a star catcher to come do this interview. Like, <laughs> because yeah. I want to center their voices. Um, I never want to speak for someone. I want to give them the microphone when I can. 
right? Wow. That's my goal. So that's empowerment. Engagement is the same thing. It basically just means when you come into my space, you're on your feet and you don't sit down for the entire yeah. two hours. You are engaged. You are focused on what we're doing. You're working with the people you work with. Um, you take breaks if you need them. You know, if you need a sensory break, if you need, you know, water, bathroom, of course, please take care of yourself. Yes. But uh, there's not a lot of idle time with us. We are engaged from the get-go. And that's really more for staff and performance partners is I <laughs> don't want folks who come in sit on their phones the whole time, right? Yeah. During break time, if you've got a video and that's how you're building rapport with somebody, go for it. I think social media and YouTube is fantastic, all right? I was <laughs> raised on it. I think it's great. I think it's a great way to build rapport and connect with people. I also think there's a time and place to use it. Absolutely. And then empathy is just what it sounds like. It is being compassionate and being patient and assuming every person you interact with is trying their best. Yeah. And even if their best isn't that great, that just means their best isn't that great that day, right? Exactly. We all have days where our best is not the greatest. Uh, so to give people grace and to be patient and to really take a minute to step back and ask yourself, is what my student doing harming them, harming anyone else, or harming the group? Mm -hmm. And if it's not, why do I want them to stop? Right. And really questioning and asking yourself, am I just doing this because they're annoying me <laughs> or is it actually mm -hmm. harmful? And that um, that takes a lot. Uh, as a teacher, we're, we're kind of we're kind of taught to, you know, have control and have authority in the classroom. But I am a little bit more loosey goosey. <laughs> I'm and a little bit more perfect. like, well, hang on. Like if you're pushing back against me, there's a reason for it. Right. Especially if we've established good rapport and respect for each yeah. other. There's always a reason. Right. So. I um, really encourage performance partners and staff to come with a sense of curiosity more than anything else, right? Patience, curiosity, compassion. Um, and I try to instill that in my students as well, to have compassion and patience for each other. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. And especially as you're talking about, like, with the rapport, it's very important, as you've mm -hmm. said, to really build a good relationship. And that can be said anywhere in life. Like, oh, absolutely. You need to build a good relationship with anybody in order to work with them and exactly. to, like, cooperate and to um, communicate. So Absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with questioning something, being confused, no. or wanting to know why someone did something, even if that's an authority person, you know? I encourage my students. I'm like, please, ask me questions. I want to explain things to you. I yeah. want I want to tell you what I'm thinking, because this is, I always tell them, it's you and me versus the problem. It's not you versus me. It's us working together and the problem that we're trying to solve together. And now, Miss Riley, it is time in the Ace Up Your Sleeve podcast where we asked every guest the same five quick questions. You must answer every question quickly and without explanation. Are you ready? Let's do it. What is the name of the first show you ever performed? The Emperor's New Clothes. What is your favorite show? Once Upon a Mattress. What is your favorite role? Princess Fred and Once Upon a Mattress. <laughs> what is your dream role? Uh, Pamela in Head Over Heels. Nice. And what is your favorite candy? Give me a Three Musketeers bar any day of the week. Here, here. That's my <laughs> ultimate favorite. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miss Riley, for talking with us on the Ace Up Your Sleeve podcast. And until next time, I'm Riken Young. Remember, you always have a winning hand with an ace up your sleeve. The Ace Up Your Sleeve podcast is brought to you by the students of the Acting Company for Excellence at North Texas Performing Arts. This podcast was created by Reckon Young, with sound design and editing by Latham Young. Faculty supervision is provided by Hannah Brewer. NTPA is a nonprofit organization dedicated to developing the character of youth through quality performing arts education and family entertainment. Learn more about upcoming programs and events at ntpa.org.